The button has been pushed. Commencing podcast now. It's all about the monsters. All about the monsters. Welcome to Pop Tech Jam, the independent audio magazine about consumer technology, pop culture, and anything else we feel like talking about here at home. I'm J.D. Beersdorfer. And I'm Pedro Rafael Rosado. On this week's episode, El Kaiser is going to talk about what he's watching on the television there. I've got a whole bunch of tech news, and we're also going to circle back because someone has rediscovered Android tablets <laughs> after a brief hiatus. Brief. Yes. But to start us off, what have you been watching? Falcon and the Winter Soldier. How many people out there, I mean, what, what do you think is the percentage of people who would watch a show, a Marvel TV show, and not have any knowledge of the background comic book universe. It would probably be small, right? It would probably be small, although a lot of times people read the reviews, like WandaVision got all these great reviews for its sort of quirkiness, and people got intrigued, and maybe they had no idea where it was coming from, and so they were a little behind, but maybe they could enjoy parts of it on its own. But this one, it seems to be very specific to the whole Avengers universe. And I don't know, some people may just wander in on the, the headlines, but did you find it hard to get into without an extensive background of the Marvel universe? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. That was the nice thing about it. I'm just going to say right off the bat, the show was excellent. A great Marvel movie. Do you understand what I mean? It's like there's a difference. It's not necessarily a great film, but it's a great Marvel movie. It satisfied every itch for folks coming out of the Avengers Endgame and Infinity Wars and all that stuff. It was not as bizarre as WandaVision. I mean, WandaVision was kind of surreal and out of left field. It was clearly a follow-up to Endgame, but not as direct as Falcon and the Winter Soldier. If this is a spoiler for you folks... Forget about it. You know what I mean? It's like been, what, two years since Endgame came out? At least. At least, right. So, you know, if this is a spoiler, it's on you, folks. Sam Wilson, he has the shield. They start from him having Captain America's shield. So they're picking up right from there. There's some time, but they're focusing on the blip and how it affected folks that were already here, not necessarily folks that came back. I thought it was fascinating. I thought it was a great series. It was six episodes. We really got the backstory of Sam Wilson, the Falcon, and we got more of an understanding and more depth to the character of Winter Soldier. Bucky Barnes, yes. Bucky Barnes, right. And it really helped solidify these guys as major players in the universe. You know, because you, you had Thor, you had... Tony Stark, you had Captain America, but these guys were like, oh yeah, and. Yeah, well, it was getting a little crowded there. Uh, Correct, the yeah. Avengers with like, everybody was here. Right, but now these guys are on the A-team. You know what I mean? They're, 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 they're in the, on the varsity squad. They have leveled up. They have leveled up, and it was effective. It wasn't forced. You really buy it. The show itself was incredibly cinematic. I mean, I, the special effects, the action shots, the globe hopping, you know they spend some serious Disney money on this thing. This could have been three separate films. Now, and for some people, though, that was the problem, that it could have been three separate films. And I find that kind of a ridiculous argument. The whole point of having a serialized 
show is to give you more depth and to bring the story along slower. Yeah, and you can watch it at your own pace and not be stuck for like two hours at a time, sometimes not even in your own home. Right, being overwhelmed by action, 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 action. There were a lot of great quiet moments in this thing that didn't involve people punching each other or shooting or anything. It wasn't world-changing, but it was a phenomenally good Marvel TV show. I actually liked it. I enjoyed it better than WandaVision because I consider WandaVision a completely different animal. That was a different thing. That was like maybe an event or a mini series. I don't know, but it was just- It it was was Marvel adjacent? Right. It was like, you know, it was from their ultimate line or, you know, it, it was just something that could stand apart because it really didn't really live in the Marvel universe. It was a great story, but- Falcon and the Winter Soldier really made sense. And if you know anything about the backstory, you know that the shield is properly passed on. They brought in some great characters like US Agent or John Walker, Madame Hydra, if you're in, you know, if you know the history of the, the characters and all that. It was fun. It was a fun TV show and it made me, this is the important part, it made me look forward to the next Captain America movie. All right, so it did its job. It did its job, exactly. Exactly right. So now are you going to watch, uh, didn't one of the new Star Wars series? Uh, Bad Batch, the yes, Bad Batch, did that yeah. Did you on that one now too? I haven't jumped on that yet. I'm saving it for a binge watch with my son. Yes, and sir, of course, holiday I will, weekend coming up. Of course, yeah. Weeks, so uh, I'll binge and talk about it here. But uh, Loki is the next Disney. That's either next Loki, in the Marvel line? Yeah, either Loki or uh, Hawkeye. I'm not sure which is the next Marvel series, but looking forward to either one of them. Wow. It's it's just like in the comic book world where you would go and there would always be like a spinoff of one of the characters getting his six or 12 issues. And now you've got it, except it's in in video form. Yeah. And then you buy it in the the, uh, collected edition, the graphic novel version. Yeah. This is great. I'm having so much fun. Having so much fun. Glad to hear it. Anyway, is there news? I would imagine there's tech news, There right? is some news, and as you and I both know, because we've been doing this show for some time, uh, we here on Pop Tech Jam have been anticipating for years a major online attack on U.S. infrastructure, and now one has taken place. There you uh, go. We've got some minor ones. This is a major one. As hackers from the Dark Side group with uh, roots in Eastern Europe successfully shut down a major gasoline source with a ransomware attack this past weekend. Wow. The victim here was Colonial Pipeline, a private company based in Georgia, and it confirmed it had uh, been a victim of a cybersecurity breach on May 7th and had to halt operations on this major pipeline that carries refined gasoline and jet fuel from Texas up and down the East Coast to New York. People were were relying on this pipeline here because of all of the fuel that was moving. It could transport about 3 million barrels a day. And since it's been out of commission because they shut everything down for security reasons, gas prices are on the rise here in the States. There you go. And that's, that's the point, too. When people say, oh, that has nothing to do with me. This hack has nothing to do with me. No, a hack like that goes right into your pocket. Yeah, when you see $6 a gallon gasoline, you know that, that it was, uh, yeah, because it, it's choked off some of the available gas. And, and this is for, for cars and jets and all forms of travel. So, But can I say, I mean, we told you so. Right? It happened. Yeah, and, and granted, it's a private company. It's not a government true. entity. True. But cybersecurity is for everyone. And if you're going to have all of your operations and stuff on a, a, a sophisticated computer system, you have to have sophisticated security to protect it. Now, as CNBC reports, um, the Dark Side Group is uh, rather sophisticated in itself, 
And it released a statement of its own. It says, we are apolitical. We do not participate in geopolitics. Do not uh, need to tie us to a defined government and look for our motives. Um, and so this is, you know, this, this is the hacker group making a statement. It goes on, our goal is to make money, not create problems for society. From today, we introduce moderation and check each company that our partners want to encrypt to avoid social consequences in the future. So they're, they're trying to play themselves as these ethical hackers. Yeah. Oh, we're just doing okay. it for money. We don't care that, you know, the U.S. and... And Russia are, are still in the Cold War. Oh, uh, um, yeah. Okay. I think they even claimed at one point that they were donating some of their profits to charity. I don't know if, if that was a, a legitimate thing they were doing or they were just doing it to sort of taunt and tease. But, yeah, Major Pipeline just completely uh, knocked out by ransomware. Getting online in rural America, though, has often been difficult if you want something more than dial-up or uh, those super slow satellite speeds. I don't know if you've ever been on a satellite connection, but it's expensive and slow. But the government here has been uh, taking new steps to try and narrow this gaping digital divide. The Federal Communications Commission just unanimously approved a $7 billion connectivity fund designed to help schools and libraries pay for devices like laptops, tablets, Wi-Fi hotspots, plus fast broadband service, all of this to connect teachers and students. And this is part of the current administration's $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan. This new wave of funding follows an FCC plan last winter to supply $3.2 billion in emergency relief to subsidize broadband for millions of Americans who were trapped during the pandemic without any way to really get online at any sort of speed. And that particular program provides $100 for buying a laptop or a tablet, as well as $50 a month to low-income households and $75 a month to households on Native American lands to help cover the cost of the broadband services. That's, I think, rolling out this week, uh, this this plan. And also provides $100 for, for buying a laptop or a tablet. Every little bit helps. Yes, they are making uh, some some efforts here to get more people in other parts of the country online. Now, if you want to get an idea of just how wide the digital divide in this country is uh, in some places, I'll put a link to this map on the Verge site where they sat down and looked at uh, U.S. counties where less than 15 percent of households are using the Internet at broadband speeds, which I think the FCC defines as 25 megabits per second, which is really slow uh, for for broadband, but that, that's the technical definition, I guess, of, of broadband uh, for the download speed. And there are certain areas of the country where school districts uh, started providing cellular Wi-Fi hotspots to students who had no reliable home connections. And some districts didn't even have those resources. And so just think back last year this time when all these news reports where kids were going to school in their cars to set up in the McDonald's parking lot or the library parking lot just to be able to get enough Wi-Fi from from the hotspots in those places to get a signal strong enough to do their homework. I mean, that's just shameful. Say what you will, people. I mean, whoever, I don't care what your political stripe is. That's just wrong. That's just plain wrong that a kid has to go into a McDonald's parking lot to get his education. That's just wrong, period. It should not happen in a first world country, period. Yeah, so so hopefully the funds that they're putting towards this will help close some of that and and get kids more online, more educated as they try to catch up from from this horrible year where they either lost school or couldn't go or were so discouraged by the slow speeds that they didn't even show up. You know, it's going to have impact down the road. Yep, and and you know what, folks, it's not in just rural areas. My son and my daughter have classmates that have trouble getting online because they can't afford to pay for broadband. This is a problem for a lot of people 
in big and small cities. Socioeconomic and geographic. Exactly and right. sometimes uh, the combination of both, sometimes one or the other. So now uh, the COVID-19 pandemic, I believe, is it the 14th or 15th month? I don't I, know. I lost track. Decade. Um, 14th decade, I think. Yeah. Uh, anyway, however long it's been going on, we've seen a lot of people turn into video games as a way of coping. Yes. Which has led to a buying spree that's been hampered by kinks in the global supply chain. Now, uh, we've covered before, uh, Nintendo has been dealing with shortages of its own. And now execs at the Sony Group Corporation have warned analysts that the PlayStation 5 game console will remain in short supply through 2022. This will likely hamstring the company in its ability to increase its sales targets, which all companies like to do uh, to show some profits. In its quarterly results call last month, Sony reported it had sold 7.8 million units of the PS5, uh, I believe through uh, the end of March and is trying to sell at least 14.8 million units uh, in the current fiscal year, which would put it on track to keep the or match the trajectory of the very popular predecessor PlayStation 4. Now, that console sold more than 115.9 million units since it was released in 2013. You have a PS4, don't you? No, I do not. I want really Xbox. You, oh, that's right. Yeah, I remember you switched to the Microsoft. Uh, Xbox Uno. So yeah, the, the Sonys uh, are, are in hot demand. But speaking of that elusive PlayStation 5, the company's next generation virtual reality headset will include a resolution of 4,000 by 2040 pixels, which is 2,000 by 2040 per eye. So, so you, yes, you've got a thing on your head, but the resolution is really great. It'll have a lens separation adjustment dial and uh, gaze tracking that varies image rendering based on the eye's retinal fixation points, which all, there, there's a technical term for it, foliated or something, but it's a way that makes it even more realistic when you're in the virtual environment. Um, a motor on the headset can be used by developers to give direct haptic feedback as well on your head or, you know, in the, in the controls. So this new headset, spiffy as it sounds, though, is not expected until next year, probably at the earliest. But if you can't get a PS5 anyway due to the shortage, you know, maybe you just wait for it all. Maybe. Also in gaming news, uh, Apple and Epic Games uh, began their slugfest in court on May the 3rd, an Epic's 2020 lawsuit that claims unfair business practices over that uh, 30% revenue cut that Apple takes uh, from Fortnite and other apps and games in its app store as well as the restrictions about in-app purchases that companies will sometimes try to, to sneak in there to go around Apple's 30% taste. As our listeners may recall, uh, this blew up last year when Epic released a version of Fortnite that tried to bypass Apple's own payment system, so Apple promptly booted the game from the App Store. So then Epic sues, and then Apple filed a countersuit saying that the attempted end run violated the terms of Epic's contract with Apple. So lots of slap fight lawsuits here. So So... I'll sue you. No, I'm going to sue you. <laughs> and whatever the verdict is, they're still listening to the evidence in court. And I'll post some links to the to the daily progress of the trial. But uh, the verdict could have a huge impact on the way games and apps are sold and managed uh, in other online marketplaces. So could this break the 30% lock? I know there's also some some tension about the way apps and games are sold in Europe. Uh, Europe being traditionally more suspicious about American tech companies and, and their business practices. So I don't know where this is going, but Epic is hoping that maybe they can, you know, break free. We'll see. We shall see. 
Now, if you've ever received or seen merchandise that looked just a little suspicious uh, for sale on Amazon's <laughs> site, uh, well, A, you're not the only one. Yeah. But as it outlines in its own 2020 brand protection report, the Uber Mega Everything store said this week it has blocked more than 10 billion suspected bad or counterfeit listings before they were published on its site this year. And I guess they've been spending uh, $700 million to fight all this fraud. Last June, Amazon created a counterfeit crimes unit uh, with 10,000 people working to ramp up the war on the knockoff products. I mean, is that going to be the next law and order counterfeit crimes unit? (laughs) I'm there. I'm running my DVR right now. Yeah, and, and you just have to browse the site. And even some of the stuff that's gotten through looks a little – I mean, it's not as, as bad as like when you ride the New York subway system and someone wants to sell you some batteries wrapped in saran wrap. Yeah, or if you go down to Chinatown, let's be honest. Yeah, know, there, there's there are some, some – There's some neighborhoods, uptown and downtown, the quote-unquote gray market. Yeah. So, so, so Amazon is working to try to uh, – stop this stuff from getting because they end up when people buy it and complain amazon sort of has to do with theirs so they're just trying to stop it at the source yeah but the more difficult thing for amazon is that there are a lot of major companies i know for for a fact some audio companies microphones and, and equipment like that that have had problems with counterfeits being sold of their equipment on amazon and they're not selling any of their equipment on amazon anymore they refuse to 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 have them as a verified merchant, which is a problem for Amazon. If this company doesn't trust your site, what's to stop all these other companies from not selling? And all you're left with are are all these counterfeit garbage things. Yeah, yeah. These sort of very suspicious uh, to begin with. uh, Correct. Yeah. 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 So um, so, so we'll see if Amazon uh, keeps squashing the counterfeits. Um, But speaking of fraud, uh, some quick news about that site that you don't have to deal with anymore (laughs) um, because you gleefully quit. Yes. But uh, according to the Mother Jones site, a group of security researchers say they've uncovered a giant 14,000-account bot farm that was designed to shape public opinion on Facebook during the most intense weeks of last year's presidential election. As Mother Jones reports, uh, Paul Bischoff of the British cybersecurity company Comparatech uh, said the accounts in the bot network each posted about 15 times per month for an output of more than 50,000 posts. I guess in a week, once you add up, you know, all of these these 14,000 going on, uh, the accounts appear to have been used for, quote, political manipulation, end quote, with roughly half the posts being related to political topics and another 17 percent related to the COVID-19 pandemic. Each account had a profile photo and a friends list. The friends were probably just other bots, uh, the researchers thinking. And then the bots were sent out to join specific Facebook groups where their posts uh, were more likely to be seen and discussed by legitimate users, if we can call them that. Now, a a Comparatech spokesperson said Facebook did not respond to an independent cybersecurity expert who helped lead the research uh, when he attempted to bring all of this information uh, that his group found uh, to the social network's attention. A Facebook representative said the company would look into a sample of the counts uh, identified by Comparatech, but uh, apparently declined to comment further. So we knew this stuff was going on. This is just like some solid evidence where it's happening. Oh, and uh, regarding the election, uh, Facebook's oversight board, I guess you saw that last week, decided to keep a certain uh, former government official yes. from reactivating yes. his account yes. for at least another six months. Can kick down the road. They're going to have to deal with it uh, at some point. But for now, things will be quiet for another six months. You know, the funny thing is that I'm, I'm, I'm not even going to rant about Facebook, but I got to get rid of Instagram. Even though I love using it and it's fun and I, I like connecting with people on there. I just can't in good conscience continue to support this the company. company. Yeah, I just can't. I, I it just they're just doing some really 
awful things now. Like really, really creepy want the accountability. things. Yeah. Well, and then and to your point, if you're a WhatsApp user, there, there was a big flap because they announced this week that Facebook, you know, which owns WhatsApp, had some updates to its privacy policy. And they were originally going to be super harsh if you did not agree to the privacy policy. A lot of people said, oh, this is because you have to share your, your WhatsApp data with Facebook. I think most of that is for business accounts because Facebook claims it's oh, so you can easily go back and forth with your business. But they've got this new privacy policy. Whatever it is, is is better for Facebook than the user, I'm guessing. So they've got this new privacy policy. And in an update to the uh, frequently asked questions page, uh, WhatsApp clarifies that no users will have their accounts deleted or instantly lose functionality if they don't accept this new policy. But the account will gradually start to lose some of its uh, powers and effectiveness So it says for a short time, you'll be able to receive calls and notifications, but won't be able to read or send messages from the app. So what's the point of that? They have this deadline. I guess it's May 15th for people to sign. But if you don't, if you refuse to sign this privacy policy or agree to it after a period of weeks, you'll eventually just have the reminder all the time become persistent. And basically, the app will just become unusable. You won't be able to access chat lists um, or answer incoming calls. They're not technically disabling it, but they're just putting all of this stuff in there to make it unusable, which I don't know how many people that's going to drive. I mean, if you're thinking about losing Instagram, a lot of people have just quit Facebook in general because of its refusal to take accountability. And now they're they're getting the WhatsApp people all angry. I don't understand how they think this is good business. I just don't get it. They don't care. Like, they, we're going to make all the money and we're huge and you guys have to suck it. And, you know, maybe people are fine back. Bigger companies have gone under, so... Yeah, I don't know if this this hubris is a good idea, but yeah. anyway. Yeah, no. If there, if, I mean, as soon as an alternative comes along, you know, maybe you'll start to see people migrating. And uh, while it may not have noticed the massive botnet on its site, Facebook does seem to be concerned that people are just flinging links onto their pages without actually reading the stories. The company has announced it's going to start testing a pop-up alert. I think it's aimed at the like maybe six percent of Android users just for this test. Uh, But this pop-up alert is going to ask users if they really, really want to share that article that they've never actually opened to read. Facebook made this announcement on Twitter instead of its own site. It announced it on Twitter. But Twitter uh, also started testing its own version of that read-before-you-post alert last year. So, you know, they're just glomming on. I don't know if anybody reads it. You know, people are going to do what people are going to do. And half the time, they're bots anyway, so... One more note, citing Facebook's historical and current failures to protect children on its platforms, attorneys general from 44 states sent a letter to CEO Mark Zuckerberg asking him not to go ahead with a planned version of Instagram for children under the age of 13. The letter was submitted by the National Association of Attorneys General, and in it references research that links social media use with self-harm, suicidal thoughts, low self-esteem, and not to mention cyberbullying. And it also notes the risks of social media platforms being used to target, abuse, and groom children. But I guess Facebook had had done the Facebook Messenger from kids and, and, you know, thought that was okay. And now they want to do like an Instagram for kids and these attorneys generals. And especially because I think Instagram, because it is so visual, it, it does people like feel bad if they can't post like a super glorious photo. And and we've seen bullying on Instagram before, and we've talked about the comment mode things that they've done in there. So 44 out of the 50 states are, are saying, you know, yo, Mark, don't do this. That's a lot of attorneys general. Yeah, they, they that's, that's, you know, all but six of them. So And he probably will ignore it, but— Of course he will. Yeah, so, so that's there. 
And finally, and finally, in addition to games, streaming TV got a lot of us uh, buying the depths of the pandemic. Uh, but there's one site that may not have gotten as much publicity as your Netflix, your HBO, your Hulu, your Disney Plus, but it's serving up incredible content nonetheless. Now it's called Quality TV, and it was started in 2015 by Deshuna Spencer, who got tired of seeing black stereotypes or the same old historical stories told over and over again on uh, the other streaming networks, so she started her own streaming service. Now, the word quality means truth in Swahili, and what she wanted to do here was to curate a collection of hundreds of streaming videos, you know, original documentaries, shows, that aspire to be a true reflection of the global black experience, uh, and this is in contrast to what's often shown on mainstream media, you know, with your green book and, you know, your, your the help and, you know, that kind of stuff. So uh, Quality TV hosts more than 500 undiscovered award-winning indie films, documentaries, web series, and some children's shows as well, all celebrating uh, global black stories. And subscriptions are 6 bucks a month or 50 bucks for the year. And this is a, a black-owned business. This woman started it because she could not find any quality experiences reflecting her life uh, from the existing services. And so she just started to pull resources together. They don't create their own original content, but they curate it and they give some of the proceeds to the creators of that content. You know, she's, she's had to fight to get venture capital for it. And I think she had to get a PPP loan at some point, but she has been holding on since 2015, uh, trying to get more buzz for her network and have people have this as a resource who are just tired of seeing the, the same old stories on the mains. Now she has the power of Pop Tech Jam behind her. Yes. So, <laughs> uh, so, so we salute her and her network there. And for anyone out there who'd like to know more about the streaming network or any of the other stories that we talked about on the news section today, you can find it all at poptechjam.com. Up next, we're going back to Tablet Town. JD. Pedro. Tablets, tablets, tablets. I think I'm back with my tablet kick. Because I remember back in the day, you you had you were buying like an Android tablet a month I and had... were shingling your roof yes. in Android tablets. Had... No iPads, but Android. Stacks and stacks. You had that Blackberry one that you like too, that your son was using as a, as a ramp? jump ramp for, yes. his, yeah, for his cars. Yes. Um, so... So, but I know you're you're you sent to to lean Android on your tablets. Are there new Android tablets in in which to purchase? Well, there aren't that many left anymore. There aren't too many companies cranking out tablets. The only one I think that's left, in all reality, that's not associated with uh, with a service that wants to sell you stuff, would be Samsung. Really? So I spoke about this on the show a few weeks ago, maybe a few months ago, that I was considering getting an iPad Pro. But let's be honest, the iPad Pro, the new one, is just beautiful. Don't get me wrong. It's great hardware, but the price really is heart-stopping when you consider it. Charging you laptop prices for that. Of course, especially when you consider how much you want to trick it out. Okay, so my specs were I needed at least a 512 gig drive, right? Yeah, because you got media files. Correct. I needed it to be fast. I needed it to be big. And I needed the screen to be glorious. That was my own word. I wanted it to be glorious because I came from the Google Nexus Samsung tablet, the 10-inch tablet that they made maybe a decade ago, I think. That sucker's still working. It's slow. It's still ticking. It's, yeah, it's still ticking. It's slow as molasses. And it runs an ancient version of Android. But 
it still works and the screen is still fantastic. Samsung makes quality tablets. So I figured, let me see what Samsung has out there. I don't want to pay the premium for iPad as much as it would look beautiful in the whole nine yards. Let me see what the alternative is. And I was pleasantly surprised to find a really great alternative in the Samsung Galaxy Tab S7. Now, just like iPad, the S7 has two flavors. They've got the regular Tab S7 and the S7 Plus. And the S7 Plus, as you imagine, is a bigger screen. It's 12.4. It's plusier. It's plusier. And they have an 11-inch version. Sounds familiar, right? Yeah, yeah. The idea is that this is a direct competitor with the iPad Pro. The hardware itself is just beautiful. It's going to remind you of an iPad, period. It's got the brushed aluminum along the side. It's beefy. It feels substantial. There's no plastic here. You know, there's nothing plasticky about it. This is a solid piece of gear. The screen itself is gorgeous. It is by far the best mobile screen I have ever seen on a device. Wow. And you've seen a lot. I have seen a lot and I'm not exaggerating. This thing is just beautiful, period. It's an OLED screen. The resolution goes up to like 2800 by 1752. It's The refresh rate is 120 hertz. You know, if you don't know what any of that means, just let me tell you, the refresh rate being that high means things look smooth, beautiful, Less eye fatigue. Less eye fatigue. The colors, blacks especially, are deep. Colors are vibrant. They pop out. When you're streaming anything, it is gorgeous. It is a phenomenally good media consumption device. Four speakers on a thing, which may not sound like a big deal, but you know what? When you consider most of the other devices out there have one little dinky mono speaker, and that pretends to be stereo. This thing even has Atmos support. So, you know, if I connect it to a, a receiver with Atmos or a TV with Atmos and, you know, get that type of all-around surround sound. They have a keyboard, again, like the iPad, separate keyboard and stand. The difference here is it's a lot dinkier than the Apple keyboard stand for the iPad. Their version, the Samsung version, is really chintzy. I mean, I could see this thing falling apart with use. But it lets you use it as an ersatz laptop. It's got a touchpad and, uh, you know, the whole nine yards. If I'm doing light browsing of the internet and, and stuff like that, it works perfectly fine. But the biggest drawback, unfortunately, is the fact that it's running Android. I mean, that sounds weird. Okay, obviously it's running Android, but it's the biggest stumbling block because Android still, does not fully play well on a tablet. It hasn't for decades since I first started collecting tablets back in the day. I know they always had like some screen rendering and resolution things, like they could never quite get it to, to look good on certain screen sizes. They still don't. Okay. In fact, and there is an, a Samsung app called Dex, which is sort of like their desktop emulation software. So when you pop in the keyboard, you run this app, it does a soft boot, and then it goes into like a Windows-like version of Android. That is supposed to give you that experience and, and then stretch out the Android app on the screen. So when you're actually looking at it, it, it fills it up and it feels more like a Windows app. The problem is that, again, Android apps were designed to run on small phones. 
these apps aren't, they, they don't have versions or they don't have scalable versions like the iPads do, the universal app that it will look good on any device. It just doesn't happen. I mean, it's painful 10 years down the road. We're still having these same issues with tablets, with Android specifically. I think it's about time Samsung, if they don't develop their own, because their hardware is fantastic. I'm completely, completely in the Samsung camp when it comes to hardware. Their phones yeah, are phenomenal. Yeah, they were phenomenal. trying, like, Tizen or something. Weren't they trying to do their own and then yes, they just gave they up? they just cause... gave up. They just gave up. But I think what they're going to have to do is embrace Microsoft to survive because Android is just not cutting it. It's just not cutting it. Well, it's a very fragmented platform. Are, are you at least using a fairly recent version of it on the device? It's running Android 11. So it's running the latest and greatest. It's one of those frustrating things like it's almost there. It's just like almost there. You can feel it. You just want to pull it out of them. Come on, Google, just fix it. Or if you can't fix it, Samsung, kick them to the curb. The hardware is spectacular. And on top of that, I got a great deal on it. You know, I dug around. I didn't want to spend Apple prices. A comparable iPad Pro with a 12.9 inch screen would have set me back and the keyboard. The Magic Keyboard would have sent me back $1,800. Whoa. Okay. Okay. I yeah. paid $780 Ooh, for okay. the Samsung 12.4 and the keyboard. Granted, I dug around for the best deal possible. Amazon came through. You know, if you dig around and you're willing to take a shot, you can really save a lot of money. Yeah, you don't have to pay the, the Apple luxury tax if you do your homework and burrow into the sites. I saved $1,000. And there is nothing that I'm doing on my old iPad that I can't do on this Samsung. In fact, there's so much more I can do on the Samsung with the limitations, with the Android limitations. I can watch all my streaming services. I can check my email. I can use Microsoft Office applications if I wanted to. I can certainly use my Google apps. I can't do my audio work, but I couldn't do that on my iPad anyway. Yeah, plus you need to take a break from the audio work and just watch some shows. Exactly. But on top of that, I can still, if I need to in some way, shape, or form, I can connect a USB-C dock to this thing and connect all sorts of drives to it. All right. So expandability. Expandability. Yeah. I can use all types of headphones on there. I was running some high-end Sennheisers on this thing. Granted, I needed a preamp. I needed a but headphone still. amp. But still, I can't do that on my iPad without jumping through hoops. I can't just plug in an Ethernet cable like I can on this. I just literally just got an adapter, plugged it right into my Ethernet. So it has so many more advantages from the hardware side. The fact that it doesn't have that last bit of OS support is frustrating. I thought it would be better 10 years down the road, but unfortunately it isn't. Yeah, no, there's just maybe like one little missing piece of the puzzle that fell under the couch and nobody can find it. I'm serious. You know what, Samsung? Get in bed with Microsoft. Just, you know, do it because you're this close. You were this close. You could take iPads. Hell, you could even take the iPhone on. Just do it, please. Oh. I'm working myself up into a frenzy. 
You are, you are. Cool down, cool down. Yes. Oh, okay, so we'll put a link on the show page so people can see oh, this of model yes, of which indeed. you speak. Yes, indeed. Yeah, I mean, save, save $1,800 versus seven and change. Yes, and that's not an exaggeration. There's no enhancements. That was the savings over $1,000. Wow. Yeah, that, that says something there. So, so now, how are you using it? Is it just basically your media consumption device? It's my media consumption device, and I use it to write. I can use this for my shadow game playing for the Amazon Luna, which I'll talk about sometime down the road, but I can play both of those on there so I can have big time AAA titles and I can play it on my Samsung. Ooh, all right. So, you so know, you and it's got that big screen. Uses. Yeah, exactly. yeah. All right. Well, uh, you have had a busy week there with uh, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier and the new Samsung tablet. It's been fun. And, it's been fun. Yes. It has been. Anyway, I guess we should thank the bros. I think we should, because we, we've come to the end of another one, and we cannot leave the room until we thank the bros. Thank you, bros. If you think it, they will build it, builtbybros.com. And uh, thank you, listeners. Uh, we hope everyone out there is doing okay. Uh, hopefully you got your vaccines. You're uh, maybe easing a little bit out of the pandemic shack-wacky mode. But, you know, stay safe. Still follow the guidance. Get your shots. Wear a mask. Yes, wear a mask. You can make it, like, stylish and perky. Yes, of course. Uh, so until next time, when we are back with more, I'm J.D. Beersdorfer. And I'm Pedro Rafael Rosa. You're going to watch The Bad Batch on that Samsung tablet now, aren't you? Oh, doubt about it.